Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's installment of the Feeling Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me ready to break down this week's film and perhaps build it back up is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. I'll take the shot, Patrick. You'll take it. It's good. <laughs> we don't have to run the picket fence on this one. That's I'm good. I'm going to make it. <laughs> to celebrate basketball returning for as long as it can at this point, we chose a couple of favorites highlighting that sport last week with The Way Back and this week, the 1986 film Hoosiers. Before we hit the hard court of discussion, Aaron, I think you have a few things you wanted to talk about. Wow, I do, but man, I would rather you just keep rolling on with some basketball puns because that's <laughs> juicy. I'm good at it. That's the best thing I can do. <laughs> I, I'll tell you before we get into the movie, even, and before I get into these announcements, I could do more basketball movies and sports movies just back to back to back. I, I feel like I could do like a podcast of sports movies every once in a while. There's a genre that hits like that. You know, usually I think I would flame out on certain genres that I like a lot. Like, I, you know, musicals. I love musicals. I couldn't do episodes on musicals for four or five months in a row sports movies i think i could i think i could <laughs> so, done right i mean we we definitely know there are movies out true. there that are not done really well but fortunately at feeling film we pick the best and i can okay subjectively say that yeah why well, talk about movies that we don't like <laughs> that's not very <laughs> that goes against our brand doesn't it <laughs> it sure does all right well uh, announcements uh, first up donor pick voting for december is underway that's right. Our patrons are helping us to choose a Christmas movie for December to cover by supporting us at patreon.com slash film. You can join them for as little as $1 a month. Those votes need to be in by December 10th, so you have until then to come join and be a part of the voting. But regardless, you can get access to our bonus content two weeks in advance. Once it drops, you'll have a, a little window of um, availability there before the rest of the world gets to listen. And you'll also have other perks like free movie tickets for theaters that eventually are going to come back. I just now thought about that. That's one of our perks. And like, hey, sorry. We'll, we'll figure that out. And then t-shirts. Uh, lots of cool stuff. So go check it out. Patreon.com slash film. We're excited to cover one of these Christmas movies this month at the end of 2020. Now, next up, I want to talk real briefly here, Patrick, about something that I was lucky enough to get a copy of from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. And that is the lovely, 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 recently released 4K sets of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit trilogies. These are finally available, and I have wanted these two epic trilogies in 4K for as long as 4K has existed, or at least for as long as I've had a 4K TV and actually been able to take advantage of 4K. <laughs> so I do, and I wanted them, and now they're finally here. And these trilogies consist of the theatrical and extended versions of the films in each of their you know, individual trilogy. It's in 4K UHD with HDR, and then they also come with digital editions of both the theatrical and extended editions of each of them uh, that you can redeem in movies anywhere. It's a really great package. This 4K remastering was overseen and approved by Peter Jackson, which is important to note. Uh, they used a scan of the original printing. So this is sort of kind of done like 
ma- the making of Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of intentionality and a lot of love and a lot of care put into this remaster and upgrade here. You can tell that it wasn't just thrown together, which is probably why it took so long, Patrick, because Peter Jackson wanted to get it right. And I got to tell you, man, he really did. Uh, the 4K Ultra HD discs of both trilogies also feature Dolby Vision HDR. It is just incredible on the color palette. Um, it's really great. They have a Dolby Atmos soundtrack that is remixed for a home theater environment. I don't have surround sound, uh, so I can't take advantage of the overhead stuff, but I can tell you on my Dolby Atmos, um, not usable, Dolby Atmos enabled, that's the word I was looking for, uh, soundbar, it is absolutely sensational. Uh, they've never sounded as good as they do now. And I really, really enjoy it. I can't wait to go over to a friend's house with a fully functional surround sound system and listen to these discs because, oh, it's just, man, just, I just want to put on Concerning Hobbits, sit on my couch with the fire on and smoke some weed, you know, like, like a hobbit. Um, (laughs) not that kind of weed. Well, I guess that's kind of what they're doing, right? Yeah, I guess this whole disc set is probably sponsored by HBD or something like that. <laughs> it could be. With as much weed as the Hobbits and Gandalf smoke in these movies. Uh, you know, yeah. it's probably, yeah. It's all medicinal. It is. To the Hobbits. Well, the 4K transfers hold up beautifully, and I think that you can really tell that mostly practical effects and the VFX used in Lord of the Rings uh, has remained really timeless, honestly. It's only made better with this upgrade and more breathtaking. It's got sharper colors. It's got tons of detail. I was able to rewatch a few of my favorite scenes, like the Ride of the Rohirrim and the Battle of Helm's Deep, and it truly does feel like I was closer to being a part of them than I ever have before. It's just, it's a really special new look, and I watch these films every year, so it's not like I'm not familiar with the Blu-ray set. I mean, I have, like, worn mine out, and I'm so excited to have these new discs to start taking advantage of when it comes to the hobbit i don't think that they've ever looked better either the cg backgrounds they feel more like lord of the rings i guess is how i would have to put it they feel like the practical sets and the actors have blended better with the cg and so what it results in is when you're watching them back to back it doesn't feel as much like a jarring transition between the two series, which is fantastic because I like to do that. And, you know, in the past, when you do that, you've realized you watch Lord of the Rings and then you go to the Hobbit and it's just, it's so over blaringly bright CGI. And now it's kind of like been brought back a little bit uh, while also being made sharper. And it's just, it's wonderful. There are sadly no special features in these sets. It's a big bummer in my opinion, but That's because a six-film Middle-Earth Ultimate Collector's Edition with new bonus content is going to be released in 4K UHD in the summer of 2021. This one will also come with the theatrical and extended versions of all six films. The new bonus content, previously released Blu-ray discs as well of the Hobbit trilogy and the remastered Blu-ray discs of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Um, It is also going to be very, very expensive. So if all of that extra content and fancy packaging isn't something you need, I think that these sets are going to be great for you and suffice. It's no secret, man, that I have a great love for these films. The Lord of the Rings trilogy is my favorite of all time. And I'm a strong supporter of the Hobbit trilogy as well. 
which is not quite to being on par with Jackson's masterpiece, but visually and with regards to its audio, because of this set, it is now. And yeah, some of the storytelling choices are probably not quite as good, but I maintain personally that The Hobbit should feel different than The Lord of the Rings, because The Hobbit is my favorite book, and it is a children's book about an adventure. It is not about an epic quest to save the entire world. So I can't recommend these enough, and I am really excited to have these in 4K as I await the Amazon show and its release in 2021, and it's all coming up Lord of the Rings at this moment. And so it's probably time to start figuring out how we're going to cover them on our show. Yes. And uh, as is probably not a surprise, I haven't seen the Hobbit trilogy yet for a number of reasons, but um, I will probably wait until we cover that trilogy to see them. So just know that one will be a very familiar watch and one will be a first time watch. I'm going to allow uh, it. You... (laughs) Just be glad I've seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I know you're not a fancy guy. I w- and I will tell you this, just straight up, for better or for worse, Lord of the Rings kind of cinched it for me at not being a fantasy guy. Well, we're just gonna hold off on anything else in that <laughs> direction because I don't need your negativity. I did want to add one last thing. I almost forgot. We have a contest to win 4K digital copies of both of these trilogies, and as I said, they come with the theatrical and the extended. So. We're talking what? Three plus three is six times two is 12. So 12 movies. What we love is our Facebook discussion group. We love what it has become. It, it continues to grow. It is thriving. It is a great place. And so that's why we want to continue to encourage you listeners to come be a part of it. And we want to reward the people who are. So what we're going to do is there will be a post under the announcement section and also hashtagged hashtag giveaway so you can easily find it, that simply says Lord of the Rings slash Hobbit Contest. Leave your answer in the comments. To enter, all you have to do is come find that post and then comment with your favorite quote, your favorite scene, your favorite performance, your favorite battle, etc. from either of the the trilogies, either one. Anything will do as long as you share something that you love about Peter Jackson's films in some way. And then on Friday, December the 11th, at the end of the day, we will pick a winner We will let you know. It's as easy as that. And as a bonus, you'll also become a part of an awesome community to talk movies with people anytime you like. Good stuff, Aaron. Yes, definitely be a part of that because that is a trilogy worth owning for sure. All right. We are now into main episode discussion, but we are not getting quite spoilerific because what we like to do is summarize our movie experience with our one word takeaways. And Aaron, we will start with you. What was yours? Blueprint. I hadn't watched this, not Blue Chips, that could have been an also, but Blueprint. I hadn't watched this in years, and I found it remains a super quotable, inspiring, and rousing underdog story about the high school version of my favorite sport. I also found it to be a bit too clean for my liking, honestly, and I find that many of the films that have followed its formula like Friday Night Lights and The Way Back, to name a couple, do it, I'm going to say much better, but I might as well say in a way that I much prefer, with more realistic drama. I think that it's still impossible not to cheer, though, and not to cry while watching this one. 
And so it's a blueprint for one of my absolute favorite genres. Yes, I know that there were inspirational sports dramas before it, like Rocky, for example. But as far as inspirational sports dramas for team sports go, this one, I feel like, set a standard that would begin begin being repeated much more frequently in years to come. And I'm super glad that it did because it has resulted in just handfuls of films that I have thoroughly enjoyed and love watching as we were talking about at the top of the show. I could just do episode after episode of movies like this. And that's because Hoosiers exists and Hoosiers did it so well and inspired so many others. And and it was great, man. It was a fantastic rewatch. I absolutely love this movie. It's wonderful. And, um, you know, go Hickory. For real, I love the Huskers, man. I was going to say that I think this is a movie that, like you, does set a standard for the things that come after it. And I think that at the time, this is 1986, I remember watching this with my dad quite a bit. Like, this was a Hicks family movie that we would watch. My brother and I would watch, and my dad and I would watch it. And there were so many moments, uh, the quotable parts that you speak of but there were so many moments in the movie that i just smiled and i remember texting you and saying man i adore this movie for nostalgia i think it was worthy of the nominations it got from the oscars and i think that as a movie itself much like coach norman dale i felt like it was very gutsy Yes, it's clean. There's not a lot of like crazy drama. There are parts of it that I look back as an adult for this podcast specifically. And in being honest, have to say, yeah, that's not quite working for me anymore. But I think that the way we see Gene Hackman's character look at the town, the way that they look at him the way in which he approaches coaching and relationships and the way in which the team responds i could only think of gutsy being the the word that would sum that up can't say it's necessarily a gutsy movie like it's out of the realm of normal because i think it fits into like hey it's homegrown this is a movie that my eight year, almost eight year old could probably watch and enjoy because it's got a good balance of a little bit of humor here and there, some good basketball scenes, probably not a lot that he can latch onto in terms of some of the drama, but I think it's one that I definitely want to share with him as he gets older and let him know this is one that pops, who he calls his grandfather, and I watched growing up, and this is one that I definitely want to share with him. And as someone who's not as big into the sport as you are, this is one that I can appreciate the sport equally as much as the story. So watching it this time around, I didn't like it any less, but I can appreciate it a lot more and seeing it for what it is in terms of being a gutsy performance, gutsy story as a whole. It's definitely one that will stay on my shelf. It's highly rewatchable. And it's one that I would say for a movie that's coming out of the 80s, that's depicting a 
mid-century kind of uh, era, it holds up really well. I think it's one that doesn't feel outdated, in my opinion. And I would say it's one for folks that uh, can appreciate sports movies or not, which I think is why we picked it, you know, because <laughs> it doesn't have to be something for basketball lovers. It can be something for small town folks. Or as you said, you know, this is like Friday Night Lights, you know, West Texas football. It's the equivalent, Indiana basketball. This is what makes people uh, who they are in the state of Indiana. And when you really throw that down into a small town like Hickory, it really does amplify that love. And that kind of jumps us into our, our main discussion. One of the first questions I want to ask before we do that, giving you the spoiler warning, this is where we really get in depth. And so give yourself an opportunity to find this. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. It might be, I think, but if it, if it's not, you can find, maybe you can find it, borrow it from your dad. Cause I'm sure every dad has this and <laughs> maybe they don't. Except us. We're, we're dads and we don't own it yet. Isn't that well, wild? I, yeah, I, I own it. So <laughs> I also own the CD soundtrack called best shot. Oscar nominated. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, by by the late Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, but, the other Oscar nomination was for Dennis Hopper, which is I, whatever. I don't understand, but okay. The Oscars were weird. They've as never they, still I, are. they were weird back in the eighties, I guess too. <laughs> There's a consistency yeah. we can definitely agree on, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you've been warned. Yeah, with humor and other things. This is now spoiler area, so for that we'll go ahead and kick our main discussion off. All right. Throughout the film we get introduced to this guy uh, named Coach Norman Dale, played by the great Gene Hackman. This is one of my favorite Gene Hackman performances. And he comes onto the scene, and right from the jump, he is dealing with this overwhelming sense of criticism, resistance, and hostility from this small town of Hickory, Indiana. And I wanted to start by asking you, what do you think influenced this town's hostility, at least from... Uh, from from what you gather early on in the film just so much of this is like friday night's lights it's weird because we are watching through that series right now and so you know whether it's the series or the movie it's just there's so many similarities in some of the storyline here and it ways we've seen pieces of it play out in the football world during that show and one thing you learn really quick anytime it has to do with sports in like football in texas or basketball in indiana obviously is outsiders are not welcome and this is typical of any small town in general but it's something that they're very protective of is their sports and when you come in from somewhere else and you want to do things in your way people are not going to respond to that and they're going to fight against it. It was also just, it's just a matter of reflecting the culture. I mean, the world was just different. There wasn't an internet, Patrick. So what you know about Coach Norman Dale before he arrives is probably only what you learned in the newspapers. That, hey, this guy was a college coach once upon a time, and then he disappeared after he got, you know, booted or suspended for attacking a player. Hi, Bobby Knight. And... Where did he go for the last 12 years? No one really knows, right? They just know that he was a washed up in their head. They don't know all of the reasons behind it. And small towns like to gossip. So they like to create their own narrative. And he comes in 
and they're expecting him to just do things the way they want to do. They actually talk about this in the movie too. They, they say at one point or another, how routine is so important to them. Like staying the same is important and they just don't deal with change. And he represents change and and they don't know how to handle that because they're not ready. Just like the kids aren't necessarily ready to accept his way of doing things, they aren't ready to accept it either. And they live their lives very differently uh, in this part of the world, in this part of the country. They, they Farming towns, for one thing, they built on routines. And I think that that's part of the reason why. Like, it is a very structured life that they live. And if you disrupt that cycle, then your well-being is thrown off when it comes to farming. And so that's the way that they see things. And they just can't envision. It's like going to the spread in football. They can't envision that another way of playing the game could be successful when they've had success already to a certain extent with a different method. So it's not understanding what you don't know (laughs) and being kind of afraid of it, to be honest. And then not wanting to give up what you feel is an element of control, uh, whether you're actually in charge or not. It's an element of controlling your reaction to what's happening because it's consistent and it's something you can predict to giving yourself over to the unknown and trusting that it's going to work and just hope and rooting for it anyway. So there's a whole lot of reasons. And it really plays out in such a fun way. I think in the movie, like the barbershop scene is great at the very Love beginning. Love that scene. <laughs> Love that scene. Because okay. of course a barbershop, right? Like it has to be a barbershop. Sure. And I think that it's just, th- there's some of the best moments where we get to learn about Coach Dale because he's able to listen to them sit there and do the typical, he reminds me so much of Eric Taylor. Yes. Uh, you know, he sits there and he listens to them talk to him about how, you know, they, he needs to do zone defense because this is what we've played in the past. And it's the only thing that will work around here, you know, and this is their philosophy. This is what you're going to do. And all he does is he cuts him off. He says, gentlemen, it's been real nice talking to you. Good night. And I, I could literally, dude, I could literally hear Eric Taylor saying this in my head when he said it, because it's the exact same thing. You'll see the man hear the boosters, hear the stuff all the time in that show. And he'll just, he'll. It's like a he's like gritting his teeth, but he's not doing it visibly. It's almost he's doing it with his lips closed. So you kind of know he's doing it, but he's not technically doing it in showing it to you. And then he'll just kind of kind of scrunch up his face and he'll just say, all right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, y'all have a good night. Y'all have a good night. And then he'll say that and he'll walk, he'll walk away from it. Right. And then when it comes to it, when push comes to shove, he's not afraid to do the same thing that Norman Dale does. They're so similar. And he'll eventually he'll say, enough is enough. This is how it is. It's my field. This is my basketball court in this case. And this is the way it's going to be. And you need to get. And and when he finally gets to that point, the townspeople understand and are there. They have to respond to that because I think I'm going in all kinds of different directions here. I'm sorry. But like. I think about myself. I'm so quick to react. This is one of my faults in my personality that I have to work on constantly is I'm such uh, an instant responder 
So I will have a reaction, an emotional reaction to news and to conversations. And I may actually have a different opinion or change my mind really, really quick, but I like to fire it off my first thought and I, and I have to catch myself there. Um, Norman Dale is an example of what I want to be in situations where I deal with people like the townspeople because he's able to not do that. He's able to stay calm until the right moment. Um, and I'm also a lot like the townspeople because I like to say Simper Gumby, uh, the Navy was all about that. Change is imminent. We're always and forever changing. And so I'm used to it, but that doesn't mean I necessarily handle it well. I handle it and I can deal with it, but I don't handle it well. And I don't like it. I like things to be the same. And I do get a little freaked out when things go nutso. So I actually can relate with them. Um, I don't like their methods. I don't like them trying to run him out of town because he's not the coach that they want. But I, I can I can empathize with their feelings and at the same time be inspired by his response to that. Yeah, all of that stuff is fantastic, Aaron. I, I look at the townspeople as that strict stay the course, don't move. And this time around, I caught a whole bunch of context clues in terms of giving our audience a little bit of mystique and a little bit of insight at the same time. Because first of all, we don't know anything about Norman Dale in the first 10 minutes. And he's talking to, I think it's Cletus, who's initially his assistant coach before he has the heart attack. And early on, there's a scene where... Cletus. There's, there's, the name is Cletus. Can you, I mean, it's Indiana, man. What are you going to do, sorry, right? Just... I mean... <laughs> shooter i mean if we're talking names here right good point Jimmy chitwood are we talking about <laughs> basketball are we talking about shots Ulytic, what are we talking Ulytic, you know we're i mean we just kind of you know let's 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 forgive forgive the names because it's indiana in 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 the mid-century i think 1940s 50s i can't remember when it is i don't remember when it takes place anyway so there's a scene where he's walking in he's coming up the steps and he's getting you know he's getting the cold shoulder by uh by myra fleener played by barbara hershey Goes up, sees Cletus <laughs> sitting on the floor. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, floating. You know, and there's this dialogue that takes place between them. And what we get is a sense of, okay, he's got a past, but we don't really know about it. Later on, he's having a conversation with Shooter when Shooter comes to his house and he looks at the picture on his mantle and he says, that was a hell of a team you had there. And he goes, you knew that team? And he goes, I know everything there is. No, about the great, greatest game ever played. And immediately I was like, Oh, that's Aaron. You know, he knows that, you know, he's not drunk, but you know, <laughs> that's the same kind of sentiment. And he goes, so you know about, it. he says, ah, it's in the past. Don't worry about it. And we're given these little moments of like, what did he do? What happened here? What we know at that point, Aaron, is that he, what he tells us, you know, it's been, it's been 10 years since I blew one of these or 12 years since I blew one of these because he spent the last decade in the Navy becoming a chief petty officer, which probably favors what you were talking about. The motto in the Navy means, you know, always changing and he's probably embracing that. So he's a great example for you, obviously, as your brother in the, as a chief petty officer. That scene in the barbershop is another great moment, not only because of its humor, but also because of its insight. I love that you have the preacher. I think it's a preacher. He goes, 
He goes, we we know that you're a God, we believe you're a God-fearing Christian man with morals and principles, and we feel like, okay, he's going to give him kind of the, hey, here's what we expect from you. And then he throws in this basketball comment. He's like, tell me something. Do you believe in man-to-man or zone? And he starts, Coach Dale starts laughing because he thinks it's a joke, and nobody's laughing. And then they go into, like, this serious conversation. And that's when I thought exactly like you did, Aaron. Like, these are the boosters. These are the Dylan Panther boosters who are not going to, you know, every question they ask is not a question that's trying to get small talk. They really want to know. And then it leads to that back and forth conversation. And we start getting more of who Coach Dale is. He's responding to all of that hostility with this unapologetic gentleman. I appreciate it. Thank you. I was thinking about Coach Taylor then too. And then he leaves. And then he really gets their goat in that scene with George. I think it's George at the first basketball practice. And the dialogue that gets exchanged is almost like, okay, who's going to be the alpha here? Where George George says, uh, there's uh, there's, there's two kind of uh, people in this world, Mr. One that uh, gets naked and howls at the moon, and uh, the other one that does it in my living room. First one, don't really care about. Second one, you kind of got to you know, think through. And you can tell George is trying to kind of hint to him like, hey, don't rock the boat here. And he goes, translation. Is that some kind of threat? And then you start seeing Norman Dale, the coach, come out and say, I'm not going to apologize for who I am. And, of course... George doesn't like it. He walks off. He goes, leave the ball, George. And we get this great scene with him meeting the players. And he asks himself, let's see what kind of hand I've been dealt. And Aaron, I love seeing a coach like this. I love seeing someone who sees these boys and sees this town as a challenge. But he also sees it as something more. And because we don't know much about him at this point, it gets me asking the question, why is he this way? Why is he so determined to make it work in this small town? What is it about his past that makes him compelled to do something like this? But the fruit of that is that we get a guy who I think really does care about the game of basketball and the players that it involves. You know, obviously he's disappointed in the fact that within this story, there's only like 65 boys in the whole school. Not all, not everybody goes out for the team. And he then from the, I mean, I almost think of him like a pastor at this point because he's just preaching these, these principles to him. There's more to the game than shooting. There's fundamentals in defense. He goes, that ain't no fun. He says, my practices weren't designed for your enjoyment. And I think more than anything, what we get early on is a coach that is earning trust. He's earning trust. He's earning respect. And Aaron, he's doing it within the first day of practice. Because that whole scene, I was thinking the little montage of training, I was like, oh, man, he's going over days and days and days. Nope. There's no. He's actually, this is the first hour of practice that he's going through all these things. and. It got me wondering what what motivates him to to do these types of things, to approach the town and the team this way. And I wondered what you thought of that. 
I don't know that we know a lot about why he is necessarily the way he is, but I don't think it's important. I don't think it matters. I don't think we, I honestly don't want that. I don't want the movie that needs to stop what it's doing to tell me a 30 year backstory on coach Dale and how he went through his entire life to get to the point of believing the way he is now. We know that he has a checkered past, as I mentioned that he was a successful college basketball coach and that he threw it all away by letting his anger get the best of him. And he recounts that eventually to Myra in a really emotional scene where he says, you know, like there's not a day that goes by that I don't wish that, you know, I didn't grab him, you know, I didn't hit him. And what we, that's really all we know other than that in between then he was in the Navy and he was a chief petty officer. And I can tell you, it's really interesting, something that stuck out to me, because his whole approach is he has this idea that he's going to break them down and then build them back up. And I got to say, this is a Navy thing. Like This is a military approach to what he's doing here. Specifically, with regards to being a chief petty officer, one of the things that you do in order to become what we call a genuine chief petty officer is you quote unquote willingly subject yourself to a summer long initiation or it's been the word has been changed over the years because it's got such a negative connotation and such a history of hazing applied to it. It's been called induction and all different kinds of things. But the the fact of the matter is you spend an entire summer with other chief petty officers, selectees, and you are run through the ringer. You are, you barely sleep. You, you run around and do errands for people, people. You get physically the, in the best shape of your life. You are put together to face challenges that you cannot overcome unless you do it together. And you legitimately cannot possibly win by yourself. And you're only as strong as the weakest link. It's all of these lessons these inspirational things you may have heard over time. And we have to live through that. And it all boils down to this one final night where you've got to be successful. You you know, you're up from like 5 PM until seven in the morning and it's no sleep and it's just chaos and your body wants to shut down and your mind wants to shut down and you have to pull each other together and get through it with what, with the fundamentals, with the things that you have learned over the course of this summer that you have, come to not only believe in from a principal position, but also from technical and physical and all these other other ways. And so for me, like when I'm watching this, like him saying I'm a chief petty officer, it means way more to me in, and and this is what's going through my head because I've experienced this than it does for maybe you who just hears, oh, cool. He was a certain rank in the Navy. That's cool. But to me, it's so consistent with what I went through. That's the way he coaches. And, and we don't know if that's the way he coached before. We know that he was hard, but we don't know if he was this way. And I, I would wager that he probably has changed based on his experiences. And all of those lessons he brings to the team, build them or, or break them down to build them back up, which I, I will also say personally, I feel is a very, very dangerous concept. I think that there is a line you have to walk that very carefully when you're quote unquote breaking people down to build them back up. And what we see 
and the way that it takes place in this basketball team, I really enjoy because he's respectful. He's careful. He doesn't treat them like crap. He doesn't degrade them in the process or anything of that nature. Uh, and it's, it's beautiful to see this kind of approach because this is me to a T when I'm at work. Like I am in the nonprofit world now. And when I came in there coming from the military, boy, oh boy, it was a tough transition. And to this day, I still struggle sometimes because it is a, I almost said touchy feely. It's not touchy feely. Whew, that would be real bad. It's a like real softy kind of, uh, organization. Kid gloves. Yeah. We're, we're all about your feelings. We don't, really do a lot of, you know, um, corrective action. We don't fire people. We don't, frankly, a lot of times we don't hold people accountable, Patrick, for what they're supposed to do. And because of that, I get real frustrated because I'm like, this is the job. This is what you were told and expected to do. Like, there's really no question for me at that point. It's, this is it. So I'm in Norman Dale um, in that way. And so I think that there's, again, there's a, a tricky way to walk that line because you can't be just like me. You do have to have some empathy and some sympathy and some um, compassion and understanding of people um, in order to get them to the point where they are willing to do that. And we see that play out over the course of this movie in the whole team. I mean, it all leads to like these great moments where they're fully bought in and they understand his messages of firing on all pistons and team 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 and fundamentals this and fundamentals that and frankly this team was going nowhere without fundamentals because they're not super talented they don't have like great big tall guys and really athletic players and extremely skilled shooters all across the court like they're just doing it together and that's the only way they can be competitive with teams that can outskill them and he understands that and he brings that. And I totally forgot your question. What what am I what question am I answering? No, no, you're you're good. I was asking really what <laughs> motivates him to respond the way he did unapologetically. Okay. But but no, you're but what you're doing here is you're giving me incredible insight because this is the first time that I've watched this with you as a chief petty officer in the back of my brain. Like I would never have thought that the stuff that you just said mattered. You're exactly right. I'm thinking, oh, he spent ten years in the Navy just to get away from basketball. And so asking the question was not just for conversation. I was really legitimately going, there's this weird thing that motivates him. It's the Navy, at least in part. And you're right. We don't know what happened in Ithaca, New York. We know that he was a hostile coach, and we know that he hit somebody. And this is later on. So obviously, if we're looking at context with all of this, we understand that he had to change his way of coaching. But I think what you've said offers a huge amount of insight because of the fact that he sees his team differently. In fact, when he's talking about that kid that he hit, he said the weird thing was he was the best player I had on my team. And so you've got to imagine that he's looking at this kid and expecting so much and so much and so much that he just broke at one point because he wasn't fulfilling. We don't know what happened. But then he looks at these six individuals who turn into eight miraculously over the course of the of the film and when he says, let's see what kind of hand I've been dealt, there's sarcasm in that, but there's also a sense of, all right, what do I have to work with? I think that his time in the Navy has allowed him the ability to take that, what I would call rage or hostility or unencumbered anger, 
and focus it in a way that's meaningful. The team, what we find out from the townspeople is that they weren't a bad team. They were 15 and 10. They were pretty good. You know, probably mid, if we're talking about SEC, if they were SEC, they'd probably be mid tier, you know, one on top, maybe three or four competitive, maybe the occasional upset. And then they said they have all their players coming back this year, but they're a small team. I think the town, to go back to the original question about the, the town, their motivations is they were fine with that. They didn't expect a state championship. They were like, look, let's just make sure that we don't mess things up. Let's keep things the way they are, because the last thing we want to do is <laughs> I'll be perfectly fine with saying this. Turn into the LSU of 2020. OK, we don't want to take huge steps backwards because we're changing so many things. And this new coach is going to screw it up just because he's new. We don't know who he is. And what Coach Dale does, and this is why I think he's really gutsy, is he doesn't apologize for the fact that he's changing things up. But he's not doing it because he wants to change things. He doesn't know any better. He doesn't look at that 15-10 and 10 record, the fact that all these players are coming back and said, okay, what did you do last year? We'll just keep doing that. No, he says, look, I can't have a team of individuals. I have to have individuals as part of a team. I have to have that team. And this is a theme that plays itself out in The Way Back. It's a theme that plays itself out in other team-based movies where you have all this raw talent. Miracle is another great example. It's a prime focus that you can have all these all-stars on a team, but they don't play as a team. And to quote Herb Brooks, he says, I don't want the best. I want those that are going to come together to essentially make the team better. The name on the front means a hell of a lot more than the name on the back. And if, if Norman Dale could see that like 30 years later, he would tell you the same thing, that Hickory means a lot more than what's on the back of that jersey, which I don't think they had the names, but whatever. It's neither here nor there. And that's what I think really does motivate him is that history of being in the Navy and understanding that the we is stronger than the me. And it's interesting because that's not played up. And I like the fact that it's not. I like the fact that we don't need to know about not only his 30 years of being a coach prior to going into the Navy or the 10 years that he spent in the Navy. I would imagine that folks that have had that experience like you are going to pick up on that and be like, that's consistent. And that's what makes him a cool coach to watch on the big screen is the fact that it's not arbitrary what he's doing. I think he's motivated by the fact that it's his last chance. He's mentioned that a couple of times, that he can't do things the same way he did in Ithaca. And that he has influence from the last 10 years of being a part of a group that focuses more on the fundamentals and the things that bring a team together from a military standpoint and how it translates on the court. And I just want to say, to me, that is such a sign of an incredible screenwriting move because you're not deeply explaining it. And you don't have to deeply explain it for people and audiences to understand it and to enjoy the character and to get the character arc and to follow it. There's nothing about watching this movie without the additional like history and storytelling that I just gave. There's nothing about that you're missing out on necessarily by just watching the movie. Now, I may have given you some more perspective in a deeper level to maybe think about what that character might. I mean, I'm putting my experience into the character, but I mean, I'm also putting every cheap pay officer that's ever lived has gone through right. that experience. So if you're going to make the intentional choice as a screenwriter to say that's what he was, it tells me that you have knowledge and understanding of what that specific rank and that specific 
service goes through and you're intentionally building that into his backstory, but you're not stopping to exposition dump and tell me in a speech why it matters. And my gosh, do I respect the heck out of that man because it would sink movies like this. It, it, we don't need that stuff. Yeah, it would definitely bog it down. And I think agency is nice, but the benefit of that is a lot better. And that's what I got as someone who doesn't have that context. I get to enjoy the benefit. A coach that is a coach that I would want to play for, that I would respect early on, who recognizes that I don't have as much talent as the guy next to me, but that I matter as much as the next guy next to me. And I think that it's um, it's very much something that's consistent throughout the film. Well, let's talk about Jimmy Chitworth for a minute. This is a, a character that definitely stands out. He's probably arguably the most talented person that at least initially is not on the team. And Coach Dale, he sees him as like the unicorn, at least from the town's perspective. Uh, several times he's told, if we don't get Jimmy Chitwood back playing ball again, we don't have a prayer, as one of the guys says in the barbershop. And he seems to be the missing piece to the success of the team. I, from what we can tell, they haven't won a game yet with him. Of course, it seems like they're getting a little bit better. yet. The thing that Coach Dale doesn't do is exactly what the town wants him to do, is go after him. And the the really the main interaction he has with them before the town meeting is that great conversation that was done in one one take and that you find out that as you're watching it, Jimmy never misses a shot. It's him just shooting these free throws or shooting these jump shots. Never misses until the very end when uh, Norman Dale says, I don't care if you play on the team or not. And it got me asking the question, why doesn't he quote, go after him? Or why does he really make it known? Hey, I'm fine if you don't if you play if you don't play or if you do. It doesn't matter to me. Why do you think he felt the need to even tell Jimmy that much less, quote, not go after him? Well, he says something very important before he says that. He says, basketball is your gift, not anybody else's. That's critical. And then he says, I don't care if you're on the team or not. And I think it's part, it's confidence in his plan, which he shows multiple times throughout the film. You know, like he has confidence that not letting a kid uh, be be back in the game. Uh, after one fouls out and not putting somebody else back in uh, because he didn't like what he was doing. Like he's confident that that's going to have a value, not necessarily in the moment, but down the road long. He's, he's so focused, hyper-focused on long-term value and success and long-term growth and not spur of the moment. What will help us be successful now? There's a moment where he almost gives into it too, because I think it's when one of the kids get he gets hurt during the game and you can see he's like considering putting putting him back in because he wants to win and he, he thinks better of it. And he pulls him. Right. Um, anyway, I think that those are other examples of it, but it, it all kind of comes to the head or not the head, but like this being the biggest story point of Jimmy Shitwood and how he's going to deal with him. I think that there is also some semblance of resistance to the town because he's already gone through the ringer with these guys somewhat. And I don't think 
it would make a lot of sense for him to have been very standoffish with them and saying, you know, this is mine. I'm going to run it my way. I'm going to get things done. Uh, and then to give in to what they think is how he needs to run the team because it gives up control and it immediately establishes for Jimmy that coach Dale is not in control, that he is at the whim of others. And what this does is it practices what he preaches. It shows Jimmy right away. He compliments him by saying basketball is your gift, not anybody else's. He, he tells him right off the, it's like basically gushing over him in a recruiting letter. And then he says, but it's all your choice. And I think that's because he understands that you've got to want it yourself and you've got to come of your own, your own decision. You have to make that choice. You have to want it and you have to be willing to do that step in order to make the sacrifices you need to make within his system for the team to be successful. And so you don't want to talk somebody in to loving you, Patrick, like <laughs> you don't like what kind of relationship is that, you know, whether it's romantic or friendship. If I was like, you're my best friend, you should be my best friend. You know, we should, you should really, you should really, you know, I should, you should really think of me as your best. friend. That's not how relationships are formed. They form naturally. They form because people have shared goals or shared desires and they come together. And what Norman Dale does is he recognizes that and he needs Jimmy to see the desire and want and need the team as much as the team needs and wants Jimmy, or it's not actually going to get them the success that they want. Now, what I mean by that is it's not going to get them the success and growth as people not necessarily it's not going to help them win basketball games because Jimmy might have come back if he begged him. Maybe. We don't know. He might have come back to the team and they might have still won games. Plenty of teams win games without focusing on the fundamentals and without becoming better people. But Normandale is as focused on teaching these kids about teamwork and teaching these kids about how to be set up to approach life as he is in just winning in the moment. And so because of that, Jimmy is just a piece of the pie. Like, yeah, he's a great one. He's definitely going to help them out if he shows up and maybe put them over the top, but it has no value. Value is, you know, so much less, I guess I should say, if Jimmy isn't there because he wants to buy in and be part of that. If he's going to be resistant to the coach, it's just going to undermine everything that he's trying to do. Um, and so he, and he understands that. And I, I think it's incredible. We usually don't see it happen in the beginning of these movies. Usually in these stories, this, this happens like mid movie. Usually your star is on the team and something happens where the star is acting out and the star is like getting some sort of special treatment. And then the stars like, you know, I want this or that. And I want it to be this way. And then the, the coaches, eventually the coach has to say, no, if you want to be on this team, you got to do it my way. And then usually the star's like, well, F this and goes away and then has a change of heart and realizes it and comes back. We see that a lot. We don't usually see it where right off the bat, the coach is just like, you're the best. Well, okay, we're here if you want us. <laughs> I'm going to go practice with these other kids, you know, and just completely ignore them. So I like that because it's different. Yeah, I, I agree with 
pretty much everything you're saying. I also think in in my own mind, there's a little bit of reverse psychology here. I think obviously Normandy call recognize- psychologist. Well, I mean, I think he recognizes the fact that Jimmy is incredibly talented. I mean, a, a town wouldn't be lying. And even, even Myra, Mira, Myra, Mira, I can't remember her name, Barbara Hershey's character. She even says with reluctance, yeah, he's incredibly talented. And even in a conversation I mentioned earlier, um, or maybe I didn't, I can't remember, but she's talking about how basketball is seen as like a godlike type thing and how the folks that play are treated that way. They're treated as gods. But earlier in that conversation, Norman asks her, I would think if he's trying to get out of this town, a basketball scholarship would make a whole lot of sense if he's as good as everybody says he is. So I don't think he's doubting that the town thinks he is all that he's cracked up to be. That conversation with him and everything that he said, I think was all built with truth, but I think it was the beginnings of Jimmy coming to terms with the fact that basketball wasn't all there is. And that's really ironic because he's fighting with Mira about the fact that she wants Jimmy to be more. And the thing is, that's what Norman wants too. Dale wants Jimmy to be more than just a basketball player. And I think part of that conversation was to remind him that, yeah, you've got this incredible talent, but my team is built on just that, a team environment. And I don't think that Jimmy was reluctant to that. I think in some ways, Aaron, if I could just reach back into the speculative past because he was on the team, I think the coach elevated him, the coach previous elevated him to a lofty height that much like this kid that that Norman hit, he elevated him to a higher point than he probably should have been. I think Jimmy felt that way. And it was almost as if Coach Dale was saying, look, that pressure's gone. Take your talent. If you want to bring it to the team, do it. But just know that it's a piece of the puzzle. And we're going to be successful because we're doing something greater than this game of basketball. And I think that's what convinced him ultimately. Because what what Dale said was absolutely truthful, but I think he had to say that in order to get Jimmy to start thinking about his future. And I think he was banking on the fact that maybe he would join. I think he would have been, quote, fine if he didn't. But I think he was in the back of his mind going, hey, I'm not going to lose anything by having this conversation. And so when he says, the truth is, I don't care if you play for me or not. He's probably right. I, I believed him when he said that. But there's also a part of me that's going, you just planted a seed there, didn't you? Because now you've told him that he doesn't, he's, you know, he doesn't own you or you don't own him. Wait, which way it is. That- well, and it's, he also wants to make sure he, he cares about every single boy individually. And this shows Absolutely. in that, yeah. that moment at the pep rally is so huge because the crowd before the very first game, they're chanting, Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy. Right. And he gets up there and he grabs the mic and he says, that kind of effort demands your respect. This mm. is your team. And I was like, I mean, I was like, damn, like, okay, like, wow. But imagine, imagine what that would make you feel if you're Ollie, the equipment manager now on the team and the, your coach gets up in front of the entire school and says that to you. Like, you want to talk about like, 
making them walk with their chests puffed out a little bit or making them hold their heads higher, making them confident that they can be successful or that win or lose, that he is going to continue to work with them and continue to have faith and believe in them. That was humongous for me. One of the other relationships that he builds is with Shooter, the town drunk, uh, played by Dennis Hopper, who, as you mentioned earlier, gets an Oscar nomination for this. And um, it was a good performance. I, you know, whatever, it's the Academy, they're going to do what they do. And I look at this relationship and as we're talking, obviously in context, this feels a little bit more like it makes sense, but on the surface, this is one of those relationships that you're like, really? This doesn't really seem like it fits. You know, if there's one person that you're probably not going to hang out with or at the, at the bring on to your staff, it's somebody like Shooter. I mean, really you can get what he was giving to him originally just in weekly conversations. What do you, you know, what's the scattering report on this team? And what do you think it is that he sees in shooter to give him multiple chances to be an assistant that really the rest of the town and even his son don't. I think it's pretty straightforward. I don't think it's deep necessarily. I think it's great. It's inspirational, but it's not deep. He sees himself uh, not as a drunk, but he sees himself as someone who has a lot of knowledge and a passion for something and kind of threw some stuff away and is happy to be having an opportunity to right himself and right his wrongs and change. And he wants to provide that for somebody else. I think he sees somebody that the town craps on and really quickly recognizes how that feels and what it must be like for him to live that life and genuinely is just a compassionate human being. We see it over and over and over. One thing that is both hit and miss at times for me, I both love and I'm kind of like roll my eyes at is like Norman Dale is like so freaking perfect, dude. Like he's just, I mean, he's not, it's hard to find flaws in him. You know what I mean? Like even Eric Taylor messes up every like once a season, (laughs) barely He'll like make his wife mad or something, but like he'll, you know, bring flowers home that night. That's Norman Dale too, you know, but he just doesn't, he doesn't make those mistakes. He's pretty pristine and that's okay though, because he's inspiring in that way. And I think he just cares about shooter and he just wants to make him have an opportunity to become a better. And and I like that, you know, I was thinking about the way back because we just talked about it and it's about, you know, a head coach who's drunk and, you know, working through that, that, and then here it is an assistant coach that's brought on. I also think part of it is probably, and it goes unsaid. So this is me definitely just putting, you know, projecting into the movie, but one of the players is the son of shooter. And so I think he knows that motivating that player, you know, gonna get shooter fixed, get his dad better. Like what more kind of belief in, I don't know how to word this, but like, I guess if I'm a basketball player on that team and I see that you're going out of your way to help my dad get past his alcoholism to be a sober contributor to life, not just the team, but life. My, you know, commitment to you as a coach is now going to go even higher and stronger beyond just the basketball aspect and on the court. So I think that there could be some of that 
in there. But frankly, man, I really do think most of it just boils down to he's a good dude. He's tired of seeing how the town drink brings pe- people down and doesn't allow them the grace and opportunity to change and get better. And he sees that he has value and wants to give him that chance. And, uh, and I love that about him. It's, it's great. I do too. And I would agree that there's a lot about this movie that's probably a little too clean. If I could rewrite the story to bring it more up to today's kind of cynical standards, I would probably not create a redemptive arc for shooter. I think it's a nice add on. And I think it's a great way to bring resolution between he and his son's relationship at the same time that feels a little bit too much like a bow for me i would like to see some this sounds really bad i'd like to see some tragedy going on because norm doesn't have a foil in this himself maybe the town but he is by himself he's not married he doesn't have someone who is on his side yet agree with him he's not he doesn't have a tammy taylor in his life and so i think that that's probably what it doesn't make him one-dimensional but it makes him a little bit less intriguing because you're right why wouldn't he befriend the town drunk what i would say is that i think it's part of the consistency of rounding out his character and our folks at Popcorn Theology, maybe they should do this movie and I, you know, they have me on because I'd love to talk about how Norman Dale is a Jesus figure in all this. He comes into town and he's kind of usurping the way things are for the sake of a greater purpose. And he looks at the least of these, a.k.a. Shooter. He sees value in them and he says, hey, if you're, you know, let those who are without sin cast the first stone here at this point. But I think what he does for the movie is that he inserts himself as a person who says, look, if I can see the best in a mediocre team of basketball players, if I'm going to break them down and build them back up, part of what I need to do and what I see as my mission as a coach and my own redemptive, and you could take this as a guilt trip too. This is like a maybe a, a messiah complex of some kind that he feels like he has to save people. You could take that cynical route. What I think, Aaron, is that He sees value in his team and, as you mentioned, the individual value of these boys who know basketball, farming, and I think whatever else, preferably in that order. He sees them as people before he sees them as just a team that can win games. By proxy, you have people in their lives who are being affected and who love the game of basketball in the form of shooter. And I think he sees him as someone who is needing help. I love the fact that he's aggressive with him. I love the fact that he says, look, if you can't cut it, then get yourself in a hospital and dry out. He doesn't say you better show up sober to my games or there's going to be hell to pay. Like every time we see him, he doesn't show up to the game drunk all the time. It's the one time where he comes out, you know, staggering onto the floor. You don't, you see that quiet coach in Norman Dale say, "Hey, it's okay, it's okay," and he he walks him off. And then he, I love that he turns to his son and says, "You keep in the game, you keep in the game." Man, it's gutsy to insert yourself into that kind of relationship. That conversation in the school at after class where he's like his his son's asking coach what you're doing with my dad i'm not seeing it and you know he he doesn't apologize for it 
he walks off and just like a lot of moments in the movie Aaron you just have to think man trust me trust me that's probably what's going through his head trust me and he's taking that on he's taking the the criticism and the anger from the town and I think it's just kind of epitomized in this relationship with Shooter and you know the emotional side of me loves a redemption. I love the fact that we see Shooter screaming from his hospital bed when they win the state championship. And he's like, and I love how he describes it earlier on when he's listening to the, uh, the game on the Philco. And he says, they came in here and they put a jacket on me. And I was so happy I didn't even mind. <laughs> I was like, I love that. Because you see a guy who just loves basketball. But then, you know, you have that moment with his son where he says how are you doing and he says i get i get scared sometimes and he's just very vulnerable and it's just good stuff man and i love that there's that component i think it adds a, a layer to norman dale's character that uh that makes him just that more enjoyable to watch well i wanted to ask a couple more questions before we get to our connecting point the film itself has essentially two halves. We've got this character half where we're getting to know the boys. We get to know Norman Dale. We get to know the townspeople, uh, Mara Fleener, her family, all these different things. And then the second half, which is essentially divided by that town hall meeting where Coach Dale is asked to stay, is really all basketball. And I wanted to ask, this is different from The Way Back, where we got a lot more basketball in this one. Did you enjoy both of those aspects? Did you get enough of them? And did the basketball sequences specifically, quote, play for you in terms of uh, your enjoyment and entertainment? So I was reading facts about this movie afterwards, and I think it must be a sports movie thing. It's one type of film that I genuinely, generally tend to go Google right after. And I'm like, oh, I got to learn more about this. I don't do that for a lot of movies because I'm usually on to the next thing. But this one I did. And I was reading, actually, there's only, I don't remember the number, but there's like a really small amount of time of actual basketball that's played. But it feels like a lot. And I think that that's a credit to the editing and the way that it's shot. One thing that sticks out to me is that they used actual basketball players for the non- actors that pretty much kind of obvious but like if they're not actors but uh my point being is like some of the opponent teams and stuff like they use actual basketball players and so when they're out there filming these people it looks natural to me it feels like a high school game and it, and it has the actual flow of a high school game which is kind of chaotic and ridiculous at times like that's high school basketball there's not a lot of function and it's interesting that he preaches you know fundamentals at high school it is very much a game of all over the place like there's just there's all kinds of things that can happen that normally aren't going to happen once you're in college or in the pros because you're building your team for a specific type of approach to the game whereas in high school you're working with what you've got in your school and you're just making it happen as you go but as far as the actual basketball, I don't love it. I don't hate it by any means. It's enjoyable. It's good. It's fine. I like it. I think it's fun. It's not anything super special to me. 
the way it's shot. But I, I think that there's a good amount of it. And more so than the basketball, I think just being in those old timey gyms, I really like the aesthetic and the setting of this. I think it nails that time period. And I'm not used to that because a lot of the movies I watch and a lot of the basketball, obviously, that I'm watching is very modern. And so things like, you know, his inspirational pregame move, which is just so badass, where he just says, hey, somebody will give me a tape measure when they first get to the playoffs, you know, and he's like, hey, measure the measure that baseline. And, he, and, I, and I love Norman's approach because he doesn't explain himself until the end, right? He's like, get on his shoulders and, you know, measure, measure up to that rim. You know, how, how far is that? You know? And he's like, is, I believe it's the same dimensions as our gym back at Hickory boys. You yeah. know, like, like it's the same thing. And and that's all he needs to say. And he's like, all right, let's go. And he doesn't expound on it. He doesn't launch into this big emotional speech about that. He just, he says it, he makes his point. It's effective. So I like that. Um, but I like the speeches that he gives. And that's, I think part of my favorite thing about sports movies is inspirational speeches. And, you know, in particular, I re the big one for me is the one he gives before the regional finals where he said it's because the, the one after that is actually not much of a speech at all, but he gives this one and he says, there's a tradition in tournament play to not talk about the next step until you've climbed the one in front of you. I'm sure going to the state finals is beyond your wildest dream. So let's just keep it right there. Forget about the crowds, the size of the school, their fancy uniforms, and remember what got you here. Focus on the fundamentals that we've gone over time and time again. And most important, don't get up caught up thinking about winning or losing this game. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says at the end of the game. In my book, we're going to be winners. Patrick, that speech, that sentiment is in almost every single inspirational <laughs> sports movie that exists. Like, you're going to win if you play right. Like, it doesn't matter what the scoreboard says. But I always enjoy hearing it in a different way, from a different voice, and with different delivery. It just gets me going, right? It just makes me feel like I'm in a sports movie. And, and I like the way that this one does that. And I, I enjoy this. I enjoy the basketball. I enjoy seeing ridiculous looking referees and what the heck were they wearing? Like I, it's just craziness. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as you're saying about like the actual basketball itself, you know, I think it's perfectly integrated into the film. Uh, couldn't, doesn't need to be more, doesn't need to be less. And it doesn't need to be flashy because the time period this was set in, it wasn't flashy. Well, I think that that's where I enjoy it the most is the fact that I looked it up. It's 1951. So instead of saying mid-century and being all ignorant about it, I'm going to say 1951. That's when the season took place. I kept avoiding the year because I couldn't remember. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, let's just use Google while you're talking and I'll act like I'm smart. And that's what I do. So yeah, 1951, I think you're exactly right. We get this really great set of scenes of basketball where it's fundamentals. It's these kind of early 1950s jump shots. I love, I love seeing these white guys do these just basic layups and basic like, you know, one legged jump shots or three pointers and watching. I love the tracking shots of the 
players going down the court, setting up their plays. I think it's great. I love seeing Coach Dale talking to the team as they're going. I was reminded watching uh, watching Ted Lasso that you know if you're coaching a soccer team or or, or a football team, you're not actually coaching during the match. I mean, you're sitting there just hoping that they're getting it right because you can't yell across a giant pitch and actually get things done. I mean, sure, you can at halftime do some adjustments and whatnot, but it's not like football or basketball where you are constantly talking to your players and telling them how to adjust and things like that. And so I think the film does that really well. I think it gets that early, simplistic, you know, small high school gym atmosphere the 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 crowds going back and forth we got spirit yes we do we got spirit how about you what i really saw this time around and what what stuck out to me was when we get to just past the the montage of them winning all these games the slowing down of the games themselves when we watch the the sectionals then we watch the regionals and of course we watch the final the film does a really great job of using those games as a means to highlight certain things like i think it's in the regionals that we get ollie's moment where he does the granny uh free throws i thought that was a lot of fun and the the game before there's a significant thing that happens and of course the finals you know what goes on there and i think that when you do a series of sports scenes like that or game scenes you want to feel like they have value you're not just showing off a dunk or a three-pointer or a series of play-by-plays there's a purpose to that and i think that the film does a really good job of making that happen and in particular during the finals i remember reading that the guy that calls the indiana hoosier basketball games was brought in to do the radio commentary that we're hearing near the backside of the state championship. I think if I had to nitpick anything there, I, I don't like the slowing down every once in a while. I think that's a little too dramatic. But for the most part, I enjoyed all of the moments of seeing the sectional finals, which I think is when Shooter comes in, does his thing, and then the regional finals, and then we get to the state finals. All of them seem to be purposeful. They didn't seem to be just thrown in to show off basketball. And if you're going to do that, do it with purpose. And I think Hoosiers did that really well. I want to read from an article real quick because, uh, and I'll I'll give the byline when I'm done here. But I, this this ties into something that you were talking about. And I actually was reading this. I have this up in a tab <laughs> to mention later, but this is perfect. And it it's connected to the authenticity uh, that they were going for and what shows through in the final production. So. The original Hickory is actually called, I believe, Milan um, or Milan. I don't know how you it would be Milan to me if we're talking about Italy, but it might be Milan in Indiana. I don't know. Uh, but the first big city that they big city team that they faced in the real life 1954 tournament where this happened, where this story is based on um, was Indianapolis Crispus Attucks. And the coach at that team was named Ray Crow. And they were dominating high school in the mid-50s, um, right after M Milan won their national, or sorry, their state title, right? It became 
Crispus Attucks's run. Um, and that team had to overcome like all sorts of very real and overt racism um, in order to win back-to-back titles in 55 and 56. And one of the elements that I've seen criticized about Hoosiers is it's little plucky white kids who are the underdogs beating with their fundamentals are beating like these bigger, bad black kids who don't play with any like semblance of discipline. Like that's, if you wanted to find something to criticize, like you could force yourself to read that into it, I suppose. And what this article is expressing and I think is brilliant is this man, this coach, Ray Crow, of that black team that then won 55 and 56 titles after Milan, he portrays the coach of South Bend Central's team in Hoosiers. And that's an incredible choice to bring that person in. And I love what um, the article here suggests that, in a sense, his presence is sort of symbolizing what's coming, right? Like, the time is here for Milan. Like, we're telling their story right now. But if we were going to do a Hoosiers 2, it'd be about Ray Crow's team that won back-to-back state titles right after them as a bunch of black kids who had to overcome the racism that would try to derail their talent and their ability to be successful, which is a completely different movie, equally as inspiring and interesting. And so you got, I mean, that's not an accident. You don't go get this real life guy and put him in that role for no reason. It feels like a very subtle message and a very important one, very similar to like how you put in the chief petty officer backstory for Norman Dale. And I just, I I've read that today when I was literally, dude, I was like reading article after article about this movie. I really liked it um, and wanted to dig in further. And I, this was one I caught my eye. So as a perfect place to mention that to people who may not know that piece of trivia, uh, Todd Golden, sports editor of the Tribune Star is who wrote about that and where I got that from. Very cool. Very cool. So now you know to check that out if uh, you're interested in that. Well, one final question before we get into our connecting points. The beginning of the movie, Coach Dale is very tough on these players, um, breaking them down and building them back up. And at the end of the movie, he says affectionately, I love you guys. And that's echoed near the kind of like the epilogue of the of the movie. That's essentially the last line of the movie. Um, what do you think, any, if anything, changed with him in terms of himself or with the town or with the team? Well, I mean, he went through any sort of bonding building experience similar to very much like what I went through as a chief inductee and what he would have gone through uh, on the other side, being part of the team and being the leaders that helped get them there. One of the key points um, in that chief induction ceremony or, or experience rather that I was talking about is at the end, when you become a genuine chief those people who've been putting you through hell for three months and sometimes in ways that you don't appreciate and you don't understand fully, they cheer for you. I'll get, I'm going to get emotional. They, and I'm still mad about it. I'm still going to get emotional, but like the level of pride 
that they have in you for accomplishing what you've accomplished, for growing together the way you have, and the way they welcome you into that brotherhood. And they just swoon over you at that point in their buying drinks and they're singing your praises and you're telling stories and you have become something more connected. You have grown to love and care about each other. You really have. And it's a bond that if you allow it to happen, will happen naturally through going through heck together and coming out on the other side. And, you know, people use that adage all the time. Oh, we went through, you know, you go to battle together. Well, it's sort of like that. And that's how I see this. You know, he appreciates and loves their dedication, their commitment. And it's a give and take, man. It's a give and take relationship. And they trusted him. They put their faith in him and their confidence in him. He put his faith and his confidence in them. And here they are, you know, ready to continue to achieve these things and try to achieve them and enjoy the experience together, knowing that they're all giving their best. They're all doing what they can. They're, they're a team firing on all pistons. And it is beautiful. It is just beautiful. And I, and I love that moment. I love that scene. It's another one of the classic, you know, speeches. I think all the best sports movies have both the big speech that I was talking about earlier, you know, the big longer pre, you know, halftime or pregame speech where it's mo way motivational. And then they always have the shorter one where the sentiment is always the same. And in this one, it's okay. Well, we're way past big speech time. And he says, I want to thank you for the last few months. It's been very special for me. Anybody have anything they want to say? And I love this because, you know, as a leader, you're not going to always constantly tell these kids they're special. It's just not part of the process. It doesn't mean that you don't feel that. It doesn't mean you don't treat them that way. It's just not something you're going to continually say over and over and over. So when you finally verbalize that and then you give them a chance to respond and they say things like, yeah, let's win this one for all the small schools that never had a chance to get here. And then Everett, he says, I want to win for my dad. And Buddy says, let's win for coach. He got us here. Oh, man. Like, it shows you everybody has different reasons. They all have the same reason, but they all have individual reasons as well. And they're able to come together, accomplish those as a group. And it's just, it's a bond that can't be broken now um and has been forged in the fire if you will and yeah and then and love that they end it with just you know team all in one word it's it's the equivalent of like a you know clear eyes full hearts can't lose kind of statement yeah i i co-sign all that i think that when i'd like to believe that because you know when he says it's way past big speech time I think that that last moment when he says, I love you guys, I'd like to believe it was spontaneous, that he wasn't expecting to say that. I think that his heart was full in that moment with everything that everybody was saying, not just that Buddy said, let's win for coach. He got us here because he even saw his reaction was like, oh, thanks. He's just real kind of nonchalant about it. But it was never about him. It was about all of them. And I think that the big thing he learned through this is that 
his way can work. <laughs> I mean, if that's one lesson, but also that it can work when the people involved buy into it and that he had to put out a level of vulnerability just like they did. I, I love Aaron, the fact that we don't see at the town hall meeting, we don't see these basketball players yelling and saying, bring coach back. It's so stupid. You know, they're not protesting. They're not getting all up in arms. Maybe it, that in that year, in that time period, that's not appropriate that the basketball players, I mean, they're sitting in the back and watching and saying, we don't know what's going to happen. The only thing we get is Jimmy Chitwood saying, I think it's time I started playing ball again. I don't know if it'll make a change. But one of the thing I play coach stays, he goes, I go, that's the only time we hear from a basketball player. And I don't know if that was by design, but I like that it was that done that way because we really focused on the players and their abilities and how they worked as a team. And those speeches, those moments in the locker room, I think really allowed for them to show how they were learning and how they were affected by Norman Dale's influence. And in that moment, how he was influenced by them. And I think it's just a beautiful moment. And I like that the movie ends with that line. I think it's fantastic. All right, connecting point time. I will go ahead and start. I had a 1 and a 1A, but I'll just go ahead and, and decide. And it is early on in the film. You have Coach Dale. He's met the team. They're in their first game. And it's near the end. And I believe Ray is... uh getting frustrated because <laughs> coach Dale wants the team to pass four times, which I'd never understood. I was like, really four times. You're going to basically burn the shot clock down to zero by passing four times. And then I start watching college basketball and realize, no, four passes can happen within like four seconds. You know, it's just really quick. And what you see is they're trying to pass and it's not working, at least not according to what the crowd sees and what the players are seeing. Second half happens. Ray comes out and he just starts shooting. And he's knocking them down. A couple of good jump shots, a three-pointer. And coach pulls him out. And I think it's, I don't know if it's Buddy or I can't remember who it is, but somebody fouls out. And at this point, they only have five players. And he comes out and Ray goes up and subs in and coach Dale says, where are you going? Goes, got to have five out there. He goes, sit down. And this is where I think Jerry Goldsmith's score works for me. Um, Hoosiers was probably one of the first soundtracks that I bought that I first remember kind of consciously enjoying the soundtrack. And these little strings come in and go, Dan it. And he goes, sit down, Dan it. And then, you see him slowly walk back to the bench and then the music starts kind of stirring a little bit more. Ref comes up. He says, got to have five out there. And he says, my team's on the floor. And the music starts swelling and the theme starts coming in and you see all, you hear all these people start booing him. And I love seeing Gene Hackman acting in this moment because he's just looking forward Honestly, Aaron, it reminded me of Bartman 
when he gets singled out for apparently um, messing up the the foul ball or whatever at the at the Cubs game. He's just sitting in silence and just taking in all of that ridicule. The difference here being that Coach Dale's like, I stand by it. I absolutely stand by it. And I love at the end of that, in the locker room, he says, for those of you who are on the floor, I'm proud of you. You played your hearts out. And then he gives them essentially an ultimatum. He says, look, I want you guys to really think about what it is that makes you want to be here. You have the weekend. And who came back? All of them, including Ray. And it's just, I think it set the tone for him, it showed how gutsy he was in terms of sticking to his convictions. He knew that he couldn't go back at this point. In a weird way, it reminds me of the craziness that President Trump's doing. At this point, he can't concede because it would undermine every ridiculous thing that's been done so far with him. Norman Dale's the same way. If he had gone back at any point, if this happened again the next game, hopefully nobody's fouling out. If he went back and let Ray go back in, it would have undermined everything that he was working on, and I think it would have made them less successful as men and as a team. And so for me, I think that set the tone, and it allowed him to really own his convictions and deal with the consequences, and that takes a lot of guts, honestly. Yeah, it does, and it definitely set the tone. I think you're right. I mean, that's right off the bat in the first game. You almost think back to you know some movies will depict this in various ways and and my connecting point is actually another one of these where coaches will get themselves a tee to get kicked out in order to motivate the team and what he did there that choice he made you are willing to take the hit and the loss to prove and show that right up right up front like you said you have to do that in order for everything that you want to build as a foundation to be able to stick. And it'll, it'll happen a lot faster <laughs> if you can start from scratch like that with that being the baseline. And, and I really thought that was great. I actually didn't remember that moment from the movie because it'd been years and decades since I've seen it. And I was, I found myself like shocked. I was like, wait, wait what? He's, what do you mean you're not putting him back in? Like, I mean, he didn't do anything like egregious in my opinion to like not be put back in. I thought that was just, crazy you know? i thought he was gonna forfeit i thought that would be a forfeit or a technical foul or something well so did the ref apparently at first he's like <laughs> uh, you gotta put another guy and he's like no i don't i know better than you <laughs> but yeah my moment's similar and mine is i i would call it shooter's big moment and it's funny it's funny because i don't really love shooter's inclusion as a character overall but this moment just got me man it, it made me so emotional he's sitting there on the bench and you know, he's in his suit and tie, he's sober, and Norman says to him, I didn't think I could cut it the other night either, but after what Jimmy did, it would take the Indiana National Guard to get me out of here. And he makes him a promise that he won't get kicked out of any games. What's that? He makes how many promises? No, scout's honor. He holds up scout's honor. Oh, yeah, honor. he says scout's honor, right? I was like, what are you holding your fingers up for? Yeah, you're right. He does. He does. He was out of the scout's honor, which <laughs> Shooter's like, okay, well, that, that makes it legit. <laughs> and they get into the next game, and it's the example that I was just saying where a coach gets a tee 
in order to fire up his team. He asks the ref to kick him out of the next game. He goes up, he starts yelling at him really for no reason. And then he kind of quietly, he's like, I need you to kick me out. I need you to throw, the ref's like, what? What are you talking, just act like I'm, you know, yelling at you. And like, I'm just totally like being mean and, you know, get rid of me. And the guy's like, what are you freaking, all right. And, and so he tosses him. And the whole reason he does it is to force Shooter into a position where he has to take control of the team. He has to step up. He has to be that leader that he is there to be. And he is able to get the opportunity to gain confidence in himself that he can do it. And and then that is leadership right there. Not only is it trust in your team, but it's, it's supreme trust in shooter. And it's a complete lack of caring, not lack of caring, but it is a, an understanding of the value of where winning and losing falls on the big spectrum of things, just like he has preached the entire film throughout. He's doing this because it's in the shooter's best interest. It's best for him. It doesn't matter what happens in the end of the game because shooter is going to be able to learn from its experience. And I love the little grin and smile he has on his face as he's walking away from them off the court in this tie game late in the fourth quarter and what happens shooter draws up the winning play right of course and the end they win they make the shot they come over and his boy comes up to him and this is when the tears fell man is when ever comes up and he says you did it you did good pop and it's so brief it's so small and but man, you understand and you know what that must mean to a, ch- a kid who hasn't gotten to have the relationship with his father because of his alcoholism, who is ashamed of his father, not just because of his alcoholism, but because of the way that the town treats him. And you, here his father is stepping into this extremely stressful, big, big moment and coming through in the clutch. And he's proud of him. And it's something that he's proud of that they share a a love and a passion that they both have together. And it just, it's so beautiful. So, so beautiful. And it's different than any of the relationship bonding that the boys do with Coach Dale as their coach. Because this is a boy and his dad. And as we see later in the film, you know, as this progressive story you know, shooter relapses or whatever. And we see him in the hospital, but like their relationship means more to me than anything about this team in this basketball movie as a human being. Uh, and I think it does for everybody, you know, in real life as well. And so I couldn't help it. Like I was just (laughs) immediate bawling without even realizing it was going to come and thought it was beautiful. What's interesting about that scene, Aaron, is that we see it's one of the games earlier and Shooter's out there. It's, I think it's his first game as the assistant coach. Dale gets kicked out and you see Shooter standing up. He's got the team around him and he sits down kind of in despair and Everett kind of puts his head down like, oh, okay, what's going to happen here? Um, I don't know what the outcome of that game was, but then... Parallel to that, we fast forward to your scene 
the same thing happens except Shooter's sitting down, and instead of Everett lowering his head, he gives his dad some advice. He says, hey, I think so-and-so's been blah, 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 blah. He goes, yeah, you're right. He's been holding him up all night. And it starts that conversation, starts that coaching moment right there. And it's a small little olive branch. You know, Everett's basically saying, I believe in you, Dad. As my coach, first. As my dad, a close second. Take us home. And then that moment happens. And I love the confidence that Shooter gets as that moment goes on. And and we see, obviously, the payoff. And we see what I've never seen again and don't know if it ever existed, which is the picket fence. I don't know what that is. But anyway, great stuff. Well, that wraps up this episode of Feelin' Film. And with December officially here, as Aaron mentioned, so is our December voting for our donor pick. If you are one of our faithful patrons, you can vote on one of these following Christmas movies for us to cover. Last Christmas, Klaus, Claus, Klaus. Is it Klaus or Claus? I forget. Yeah. The Holiday, The Polar Express, and Anna and the Apocalypse. So put your votes in, and we will talk about one of those near the end of the month. Until then, we've got a couple of personal favorites coming your way in the form of Contact and Flight of the Navigator. So be sure to check those out here in the next couple of weeks. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation, and we'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.